Welcome to the Tucson Bitcoin Podcast. Today, my conversation is an uh, appearance I had on uh, the podcast Lalani for Freedom. And yeah, it's, it's a really cool podcast that I've been enjoying uh, following her work. And I, I met her at um, the Joe Jorgensen rally that was held in Phoenix, and she gave a very compelling speech on uh, freedom. So I was really grateful to get on the show and be able to talk about the basics of Bitcoin uh, you know, as everybody knows, it's my favorite topic in the world. But yeah, this is a good interview and conversation if you're uh, new to Bitcoin and you want to learn some of the basics of it. Uh, we kind of just give a broad outline of the very basics um, and point you in some directions to go to get started if that's what you're interested in. Uh, but yeah, I hope you enjoy this interview. I really had a fun time. Hey y'all, welcome to what would normally be Coffee Talks, but right now we are starting something a little bit new. Um, if you've been on Twitter with me, you know that I have been interested in getting into crypto and uh, Derek and I touched on this when he was on the show as well um, about my interest in crypto. And so one of the things that I've been wanting to do throughout my self-education and everything is to bring people on and help not only educate me, but also educate you guys about crypto and if you're interested in it. So today we have Alex Dishinger from Tucson Bitcoin, and I'm really excited to bring him on to talk about Bitcoin itself and some of the basics of Bitcoin. Uh, we were having an amazing conversation a little bit earlier, and I'm super excited to continue that with you guys. So if you have any questions, um, I know somebody already gave me a question a little bit earlier, but if you have any questions, just put them in the chat and we'll go over them. So let me bring him on. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, I know. Um, I was excited to bring on a fellow Arizonan for the first episode. Yeah, no, it, it, it's been fun. Uh, we're running Bitcoin meetups in both Phoenix and Tucson, and I'd like to expand to some of the smaller cities like Flagstaff. And, um, you know, I'm talking with somebody in Sierra Vista right now, um, but there's a lot of energy uh, happening around Arizona right now. And uh, yeah. Um, trying to get some good tools into people's hands for sure. Yeah. How did you get into Bitcoin? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I look back and I don't really know. Um, to be honest, I, uh, <laughs> um, I started going through the Dave Ramsey series and like 20, um, 16, 2017, getting in, interested in investing in money and just kind of quickly fell down the rabbit hole. Um, I found Bitcoin. I did your like typical thing where I open up a Coinbase account and I buy a little bit of this and a little bit of that, not knowing what anything it is. And then I, you know, went on YouTube and tried to, you know, learn about these different things. And I read the book, The Bitcoin Standard, which was um, pretty life-changing for me um, because it showed me how money actually um, influences a lot of the issues that we see in society today. Um, and uh, good money is creates stability for society and bad money um, creates instability like we see right now. And uh, um, I, was a, I was working in social work at the time and just in studying it in school. And the more and more I learned about Bitcoin, the more I realized that that was kind of more of a, um, a solution to a lot of the issues I cared about in our society rather than um, working in social work, which is, you know, an industry impacted by bad money, um, you know, with the insurance and the corruption and all the, you know, just awfulness. And it, it, it was, you know, I, I think I see Bitcoin more as like a preventative solution, um, Whereas social work is more of like a nine one one emergency um, solution, so yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that we were talking about a little bit earlier was gold and Bitcoin, and kind of how we're moving into a digital age with um, crypto and everything like that. How do you view? Um, that situation with the people who oftentimes believe that gold is the standard that we should be striving for. I think it's a lost cause to think that that gold will ever be um, the reserve money again. I, I think the transition from 
um, this crazy fiat system we see today to a gold standard would be absolutely impractical and very destructive at the same time um, because everything's propped up on debt and you need to keep on creating more and more debt to keep things going. And so if we were to just quit cold turkey today and say uh, no more of this uh, and we're going back to this, you know, it would be blood in the streets instantaneously and everything would just go under. Um, so I, I don't think it's really practical. And then two, you know, with gold, um, if we were to do something like that, there's no assurances saying that we won't go back and repeat our same mistakes over again. We'd actually probably be more incentivized to do that. Um, so I, I see Bitcoin, <laughs> as a, a much more practical solution due to its like inherent scarceness. Um, it, it has a better stock to flow ratio than, than gold and it's decentralized nature where, you know, gold, you, you need to rely on, uh, you know, banks to hold it, to prop up their um, paper currencies because we're not going to go back to using gold coins. Um, you know, I think it's interesting to read, you know, writers talking about the concept of doing that um, and, you know, refer back to the constitution because, you know, the system that we have is not constitutional in, in the slightest, but it's just not practical. You know, we, none of us use or very few of us use cash anymore. Um, the convenience that comes with digital currencies um, like we see today is just absolutely um, um, unparalleled. Um, so that, that yeah, that's kind of what I think about gold. I think Bitcoin is going to eat the twelve trillion dollar um, gold market cap and re replace gold as a store of value. Um, and uh, yeah, those are my thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> um, I I personally believe that you know, like I said, gold. Gold, I feel like, has its purposes, right? Like jewelry and art and and different things. And I, I believe that it'll always be valuable, but I don't I don't think that it's the solution that we're looking for when it comes to the digital age and a free market society. I don't believe that we can base a free market society off of something that we need to rely on banks to use and things like that. So I think we're in agreement there. Yeah, I mean, there's there's interesting uh, projects out there that try to make their own digital uh, backed currencies with gold, um, but yeah, that doesn't that doesn't fix the issue of the just messed up market system that we have today for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for people who are just getting into Bitcoin, where where would you recommend that they start? Um, I think one of the best things to do is to have skin in the game um, and to go on Cash App or, you know, wherever um, and just buy like $5 worth and to watch it. So like a very, very small amount just to like hold it and, and see it, you know, and watch the price fluctuations. Um, and and then I would encourage you to go and read. And there's so much good content out there. Um, the book that I generally put push people towards is called uh, the Bitcoin standard by Saifedean Amos. And one of the reasons why I love it is because it gives a very extensive history of money in Austrian economics in a way that's like readable for the average person. Um, I um, have been rereading it again and I read it for the first time about um, three years ago, or I listened to it on audible cause I don't love to read. Um, but uh, um but yeah, that, that's probably one of the best places to go. And then Unchained Capital has a lot of good resources. Um, there's just so many good articles out there that talk about uh, Bitcoin. And Bitcoin Twitter is a great place to learn too. Um, and then uh, Clubhouse is also a great place um, to learn and ask questions in the Bitcoin rooms. Uh, but yeah, um, also one more resource, uh, Get, get to your local Bitcoin meetup, you know, if you're really interested in learning, go and talk with other Bitcoiners. Um, and I, yeah, those are, that, that's where I would um, suggest that people start because it's really difficult when you um, get into 
this new wild west space and you're just kind of on your own um, and you don't have a ton of knowledge. Uh, there's just so many um, scams out there and so many uh, just differing opinions on things um, that might not be helpful. So it's oftentimes good to, to meet and talk with people or at least listen to them um, who have been in the space for a while and to, to learn a lot before you really jump in and, and put a lot of money into it because um, you, it's important to understand your investments before making them for sure. <laughs> Uh, I think that goes for everything, not just crypto, right? Uh, understanding your investments. And that's kind of why, you know, I like how you said you should get some skin in the game first. I was talking about how I didn't have any crypto when I was talking to my friend Derek about crypto. I was like, I, I'm starting this thing and I'm learning about it, but I don't have any. And he told me, he was like, just, just buy a little, it'll be fine. And I, I purchased my first little bit of Bitcoin and Chainlink right after that. And I was like, you know, I feel kind of proud of myself. I feel like I took a big jump here and I was like, I still don't have any idea what I'm doing. And um, I I ended up reading a book by R.L. Breyer and I hope he'll be on the show uh, soon. But he, he brought up how Bitcoin is like a free market alternative and how it, it is like perfect for the people who believe in Austrian economics. And I was wondering, what is your opinion on that? Yeah, I think it really embodies Austrian economics um, very, very well. And uh, I think, you know, Bitcoin was born out of the 2008 financial crisis where we had these massive bailouts of banks and, you know, the entire crisis was created because of, uh, you know, crony capitalism and just really broken monetary policy. Um, so I think it's the, you know, it, it's a solution. Austrian economics have been, or economists have just been kind of sidelined for a long time um, and not taken very seriously because it's not very convenient for the state. Um, they can't just endlessly expand with a limited supply of money versus uh, when they get to print and have all these controls over the economy, it gives them a ton of power. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest reasons why, um, I mean, the way that I explain Austrian economics to people is that it is just like common sense economics. Um, it, it doesn't include all of these, you know, crazy measurements and, and attempts to manipulate things like, you know, the Fed's mandate is to, um, uh, ensure maximum employment and uh, kind of manage inflation. And they do a bad job um, of those two things. And while they're trying to do those two things, they're breaking all sorts of other things. Um, and so I, I, Austrian economics is like the complete opposite of that. It's the idea of like really believing in the free market. Um, some really good uh, writers on Austrian economics are Friedrich Hayek and Ludwig von Mises and Murray Rothbard and um, and yeah, I mean, and Seyfedin Amus is definitely um, in the camp of Austrian economics. The guy that wrote the Bitcoin Standard, uh, and he gives a really good uh, outline of what Austrian economics are for sure. Um, one of the things we chatted about was how the libertarian side of Twitter and the Bitcoin side of Twitter kind of have, they haven't really meshed well together. And I was wondering, you know, with Bitcoin being such a free market solution and being such a uh, advocate for Austrian economics, why, why do you think that divide is there? Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is a lot of people in the libertarian community have had this idea that gold needs to be um, replaced as the uh, reserve currency um, backing all the fiat currencies or, you know, whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think part of it is the, the Bitcoin community doesn't really believe in changing things through government. They tend to believe more in um, changing things through technology and rendering government kind of uh, um, powerless or uh, making it obsolete. So I think it's a, a much different approach to things for sure. Yeah, no, I, I've definitely kind of noticed that. Um, 
there are libertarians who are really interested in getting into crypto and then there are um a bunch of people who don't they they believe in the gold standard and everything and i've i've noticed that because some of my some of my posts are either very well liked or very not well liked because when i say you know adopt crypto and the fed people are like wait that's not how you end the fed and i'm like well i mean if you render them obsolete absolutely that's how you end the fed so <laughs> Um, I think with my technology background and everything, I, I feel like Bitcoin and crypto was like the next step in my path. And, uh, what do you, what do you think to people who say that they can't get into crypto or they don't know how to get into crypto if they don't have any computer science history? Yeah. I mean, here, here's the thing about Bitcoin. I, I like to teach people about it and, and teach about the philosophy of Bitcoin, um, and Eastern Austrian economics. Uh, but for the average person, they don't know how money works in the first place. They just use whatever is most beneficial to them um, and makes the most sense. And I've, uh, I mean, there, there definitely are some uh, challenges and, and there's a learning curve for uh, a lot of individuals that, you know, they come across with technology in general, whether it's, you know, the pandemic has, uh, force people to get more on um, using websites, which has been a major challenge. A lot of people have been uh, living and operating businesses without bank accounts, you know, and to go and do that is very challenging for people, uh, for sure. But as far, I mean, there's the the um, infrastructure around Bitcoin is growing so much more uh, user-friendly and so much more accessible to the average person. And it's something I get really excited about. So I've, I've got this hat on uh, for a company called Fold and I'm not uh, sponsored them by them. And they uh, have a checking account. Um, well, they issue a you a debit card and on every purchase, you get a little bit of Bitcoin back, um, which I think is a, a major um, change for people for them to be able to earn Bitcoin, you know, it, versus having to go out and buy it because some people might argue that they don't have uh, enough money to do that. And that might be true in some cases. So I think like, as far as like Bitcoin rewards, that might be the, one of the better ways uh, for a newcomer to get involved and interested in the space. And it's about as easy as running a Venmo account. Um, so if you can do that, you can, uh, uh, earn Bitcoin on purchases. Um, you can buy and hold it on, uh, uh, on cash app or, you know, whatever, but you know, using Bitcoin is, is definitely a major paradigm shift because, um, it, a lot of it requires you to actually be responsible, uh, for your money, which is something that most people have never had to do before. You know, they just trust the bank um, they have the direct deposit go in the bank and then they go and swipe a debit card or they go and grab cash out of the ATM. Um, and it, it seems intimidating when you send your first transaction and you plug in an address um, and you know that if you didn't get the address right, the Bitcoin just disappears and you never get access to it. That, that's intimidating. Um, but it, it's very similar to learning how to drive a car. You know, when you first start driving, it's very intimidating. You go and you do these, um, you know, start with driving around a parking lot and then you move to quieter neighborhood streets and then you get on the busy streets and then you get on the highway. Um, and it's, it takes practice. It, and I think it same goes with uh, with Bitcoin. But the, the trade-offs are pretty phenomenal in the, your ability to maybe for the first time to be able to hold your own money um or actually own anything so yeah that was one thing that i was really interested in and i wanted to chat with you today about was like that idea of holding your own money because there's you know the hardware wallets and different ways to store your bitcoin um and the private keys to your bitcoin and that was the one thing that i where i started with all of this was when paypal was just introducing cryptocurrency on their platform and I was doing a little bit of research and, you know, some of the reviews of the system. And the one thing that they said was like, you, you don't actually own this Bitcoin because you don't have the information to it. And um, that was one thing that I, that really struck me was you have to be responsible for your own 
stuff. And um, one of the confusion that I've had with some of my friends is they want me to explain what a hardware wallet is. And I know the basics. It's like a, a very basic computer that basically only stores your private keys. That's my understanding of it. Um, could you do a little bit better explanation there? Sure. Yeah. So um, just to break it down uh, simply. So when you own Bitcoin, you own private keys. So the way it operates is like it's like owning the title to it because it's all um, existing on this public ledger. And so you can transfer um, ownership by transferring your private keys to somebody else or sending it to a different uh, wallet address. Um, so it's... Uh, um, I think that idea is kind of confusing to people initially, but yeah, there's different ways to store your Bitcoin and, and some are more secure than others. Um, when you leave your Bitcoin on a third party app or an exchange, uh, you risk the chance of the exchange either restricting your um, ability to withdraw or use your funds or uh, losing your funds altogether. And so that's been a big uh, movement inside the Bitcoin community is um, the saying, not your keys, not your coins. Um, and so hardware wallets are a little bit better way to store it. And, and what I would say, like if somebody's looking at, at different ways to custody um, your Bitcoin, you would only want to buy a hardware wallet if you have a sizable chunk of money um, because you know the, the one that I typically suggest to people, the Ledger Nano S, um, it is about $65, I think, maybe it ranges um, somewhere, maybe $75. And so you would want to have potentially a few hundred dollars um, first before you put it on there versus storing it on an app on your phone or just leaving it on the exchange. Um, and so the way the, the wallet functions is that it is a essentially like an encrypted flash drive that um, holds your private keys that isn't actively connected to the internet. So it's a lot harder to steal from. And a lot of people will, you know, point out that it is possible to steal from these different devices, um, but they would need physical um, uh access to it, you know, to be able to steal from it. So that that's already one um, layer of security that is in place. Um, if you can securely store your wallet, um, it, it's a lot more secure. And then on top of that, like if you lose it or you break it, you, you should always have your private keys backed up. And so your wallet, when you create it, it will ask you to, um, uh, or it'll give you 24 words. And so that way that you, you can uh, load your private keys onto another wallet in the case you were able, you lost it or it was destroyed. Um, so that's another uh, layer of security. And you can, you know, one of the popular ways to do it is to put it on uh, steel plates where you take a little hammer and a chisel or something like that. And you just um, uh, pound your uh, private key words, um, your backup words into that steel plate. And you can bury it or, you know, put it somewhere secure. Pro probably not as safe because safes are, are tend to be targeted um, by home invaders. Um, but uh, uh, that, that's a little bit of, of how it works. Yeah. So we have a question here and you kind of brought this up. Um, is it worth going through a third party app to buy crypto currency stock? And I was wondering if, Maybe like we could dissect that a little bit. So a third-party app, like I know I bought my stuff through Coinbase. I'll be super honest with you. That is something that I've been wondering about if that's like the best place to buy crypto. Um, but another thing is she said cryptocurrency stock. And I think one of the big misconceptions I had going in as well was that it was a stock, but it, no, um, it's actually like a form of currency. So could you explain on both of those? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So probably the easiest way is to go and buy it from a third party exchange um, like uh, Coinbase or, or I, I tend to refer, refer people to Bitcoin only services like Swan Bitcoin or Cash App. Um, and one of the biggest reasons why is because a lot of these projects just uh, scam people, um, if not most of them or all of them. Um, and uh 
Yeah, I mean, I started out on Coinbase. I still have a Coinbase account. I don't use it uh, a lot um, just because they've had structural issues and seem to shut down every time there's a major move, um, which is, you know, there's tons of theories on there uh, as to why that happens. Um, and it might just be like their form of a circuit breaker <laughs> for their exchange if there's a lot of volatility. But, you know, they, they claim it's not. They, they just claim to have bandwidth issues. So I'm not, um, a lot of people aren't the biggest fans of Coinbase, but you know, Coinbase is definitely reputable in the space. They've been around the longest and it's not, um, the worst place. You just, for, for new people, it's, it's hard because you get bombarded with all these different, um, uh, options, you know, that are probably confusing. Um, so as far as it being a stock, so Bitcoin itself is a, decentralized digital currency. So it's not like you're buying into, um, you know, a company, um, you're buying into money. And, and one of the reasons why there's so much volatility and so much growth is, in the space is because it's better money. And right now it's looking like it's winning um, as sound money. It's getting adopted in the free market uh, versus, you know, our garbage fiat cra- trash that we have that's depreciating and, being endlessly printed. Um, a lot of these other projects that are out there, um, they operate like unregistered securities. And, and so in the free market, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's important for people to understand what that means because you know your typical person is coming off a of Robin Hood and they have all these options to buy equities and, and companies um, and they see the cryptocurrency market um, very similarly. And they think, you know, the best thing to do is to hedge my bets. I'll put a little bit into Bitcoin. I'll put a little bit into Ethereum. I'll put a little bit into um, whatever else. Um, but the the problem with it is, you know, one, these companies, um, there's a lot of companies that are offering these tokens. You, when you buy them, you don't uh, get equity in the company. You have no control. So if you go and buy Forge stock on Robinhood, you get to actually vote and uh, make decisions in the company. Um, if you go and buy Ethereum, you don't get to uh, make decisions. And so uh, a lot of these, like Ethereum, for example, has had something called a pre-mine, which means that the founders own the majority of the tokens or they started out with the majority of the tokens. Um and you're uh, essentially buying from from them and making them rich versus Bitcoin, which was a really organic uh, start where everybody had access to it if they wanted from the very beginning. Um, you know, and some people might not see a whole lot of difference here um, between Bitcoin and Ethereum because you know early adopters have a lot of the um, or well have a lot of the Bitcoin or have a disproportionate amount to what we have access today. Um, but the, the difference here is, is that, you know, the Bitcoin network isn't dependent on those token holders um, like the Ethereum network is where you have one group of individuals making all the decisions on whether, you know, you're going to um, change the, uh, uh, the actual network, um, you know, or, whatever else they're going to do there, if they're going to roll back transactions, which Ethereum has done uh, before um, because of a hack, you know, where they just essentially invalidate a bunch of action on the, on the network. It, it is a very different system. And so, you know, if people are going to be um, investing in these alternative coins um, like Ethereum or wh- whichever other one, um, it's, it's very similar to investing in startups, um, but, but with far less control and so they're very risky. They're most likely going to go to zero. Um, and then I, I just don't see, you know, the, another issue that people have when they look at all these other currencies is they think that they're going to operate um, interchangeably or kind of coexist. And I, I just have trouble seeing that happen. Like one of the reasons why we have hundreds of fiat currencies is because of governments implementing borders and rules with guns. Like the reason why we use the US dollar is not because it's um, the best currency out there. Well, it, you know, it currently is, but it's because they came up with laws that said that merchants have to accept it. And those laws are backed with guns. And that's 
the same case, you know, we're watching some major depreciation of the Turkish lira right now. And those people are being forced to use this garbage currency. Um, so that's the reason why we, t we have all these different currencies. It's actually very, very inefficient. Um, because imagine if you had to use a certain, um, a certain currency on Amazon, and then you went to go use a different currency on, you know, a, another website and you had to exchange it to be able to use it. It, it makes a lot more sense to have uh, one currency. And I think that's why um, everything will gravitate towards Bitcoin as a universal currency rather than a bunch of other currencies coexisting. Um, so, yeah. Um, one of the top concerns that's brought up in R.L. Breyer's book is that is the subject of interoperability. And um, he says full adoption is complete when interoperability occurs. So do you think that all of these different tokens and all of these different currencies that we have now on the crypto market are eventually going to be able to interact with each other and be exchanged? Or do you think that Bitcoin will just prevail as the best? I mean, I think I, I'm a pretty big believer believer that Bitcoin will prevail um, as the, you know, ultimate currency. Um, and, uh, you know, part of the reason why I believe that is because of the network effect. You know, it's like, um, if you look at cell phones today, it's really the way the network effect works is something becomes a lot more um, uh, valuable or useful the more that people use it. So, you know, Bitcoin, um, it's, you know, main use case and argument right now is a store of value um, and an investment as, as a savings mechanism, um, you know, that you'll probably see that change when uh, the price goes a lot higher than it is right now. And, um, that, you know, what comes with that is increased stability in the market. So you're not going to be seeing these massive swings and changes in purchasing power, Um because the market is a lot more uh, saturated or is a lot larger. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, there's all sorts of cool projects that are being built on top of Bitcoin that kind of uh, totally destroy the use cases of these altcoins. So, um, you know, one service I use is called Sphinx Chat. And so it's a chat, you know, a, a private chat um, service used using the Bitcoin network. Um, and I have my podcast on there. And so if people want to listen to my podcast, they can stream me small amounts of uh, money uh, in Bitcoin as they listen to it. So I, it's like five Satoshis um, every minute, which turns out to be, you know, a very, very small amount of money currently. Um, but that's an amazing use case. Um, and then there's all sorts of things that are being built out right now on Bitcoin, Um using both the Lightning Network and Liquid. Uh, one of the most important things for this to be able to succeed is network security. And right now, Bitcoin is the most secure network um, by far. And a lot of that is due to its proof of work um, algorithm. You know, people mine it because it's the most profitable uh, to mine. And people that most of the people that are mining these other uh, proof of work um, cryptocurrencies like Litecoin or you know, Ethereum's right now is using proof of work, but they're trying to move to proof of stake, um, tend to take their money and put it into Bitcoin because it's a lot more um, uh, secure. It's a lot more, it performs better. Um, that's something that's really important for people to look at, at these other projects is to take them and price them in Bitcoin and to see that, you know, their life cycles are not um, always very long. Um, I was looking at one that was all the rage a few years ago, ago called Zcash. And it's like a, a hockey stick falling down where they launch the project and then it's a straight downward um, uh, trajectory until it went to almost zero against Bitcoin. Um, and so I think that's a, um, you know, a really good thing to, to look at. And it's really difficult. You know, I, I got into the space and I bought Ethereum and I bought... Cardano and I bought all these different tokens um, right off the bat because, you know, they're alluring. There's a lot of promises that come with them um, to make money. And one of the biggest things that people struggle with in the space is looking is something called unit bias, where they look at one unit of Bitcoin is 
uh, $56,000 today. Um, and one unit of Ethereum is $1,700. And so they would think that it's a lot more affordable for them to buy um, these altcoins versus Bitcoin. There's a lot more um, upward possibility for a project that has a $4 billion market cap rather than a $1 trillion market cap. Um, but you know, if, if we're looking at what Bitcoin has the potential to do in completely demonetizing gold and completely demonetizing silver and, and taking a giant chunk out of the $130 trillion bond market, the upward potential for Bitcoin right now is pretty uh, astounding, as well as, you know, even looking at the, the fiat currencies out there, that if they're going to devalue and demonetize their fiat currencies, that's just an insane amount of money that could flow into Bitcoin. So I don't think um, the upside potential is even uh, close to being reached for the project. Um, uh, and I just question some of the upside potential for these other projects. And, you know, another thing is like, a lot of these projects are maybe working on cool things, but they don't need to list tokens uh, for things. So if you're interested in working on it, you know, the web 3.0, um, there's no reason why you couldn't be using Bitcoin for it. A lot of these tokens are just fundraising for the, for the companies. And so um, it, it, I think it's important to evaluate decisions based on um uh, knowing that as a potential, some people might um, be willing to, you know, fund these projects by buying their tokens, but the the expectation that it's going to be uh, widely adopted and widely used, I think, is uh, um, questionable for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the goals here on the podcast is to just kind of educate people on the basics, right? So what do you think are some terms that are confusing for people when they first enter the Bitcoin space? Ooh, yeah, confusing terms. Um, well, you know, we talked a little bit about private keys earlier. Um, you, you brought up hardware wallets, which is uh, probably one of the best ways to securely store um, your uh, Bitcoin. Um, probably one of the most confusing ones is, you know, there's so many different exchanges out there. Uh, to buy Bitcoin on and so many different options like uh, Bitcoin ATMs or, um, you know, you can use peer-to-peer -peer services. Um, I think that's very confusing for people. Um, and, and some good ways to, to look at it there, uh, I would encourage anybody that's looking to buy Bitcoin. The first requirement um, I would encourage you to use when judging an exchange is can you withdraw it and can you withdraw it easily and quickly? Um, and, you know, a big reason why is because that's what makes Bitcoin so powerful is you can control um, your own money without having to use trusted third parties like banks and intermediaries. So when you're sending a transaction, you're broadcasting it on the network uh, versus it being changed within um you know, a company's ledger. Um, so I'm not sure where PayPal's at right now, but I think it is a closed system where you can't withdraw uh, Bitcoin. And I think that's how Robinhood is right now. Um, you know, and I know eToro is marketing a lot, but they have some issues with withdrawing. I think you can. Um, so I tend to direct people towards um, uh, companies where it's a lot easier to do that, like uh, Cash App or, you know, even Coinbase. Yeah, um, that was definitely something I looked for when I wanted to get into Bitcoin, because like I said, I, I joined that PayPal like option and I was like, oh, but I don't own my Bitcoin. <laughs> um, and that was that I'm glad that I didn't invest at that time because I, I would have been very disappointed now. Um, but yeah, I just think that some of the some of the misconceptions like I brought up earlier are that, you know, you have to be so computer savvy and everything like that. And I think that everything's expanded so that you don't have to. Um, although, like we discussed earlier, like the the basic understanding would be nice because then it makes a little bit more sense, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that like, there's always this mention of like APIs 
And um, hardware wallets was definitely one of the ones that I wanted to go over. Um, but just, are there any concepts that you think are important to understanding a Bitcoin? Yeah, I, I think like one of the biggest uh, concepts to understand is that Bitcoin has a limited supply of 21 million that will ever exist and that that's not changeable. Um, and why that's so important. So, you know, when you're contrasting that against fiat currencies, um, money acts as a measuring tool for value. Uh, and when the measuring units are changed constantly, it totally screws up the market. It, it's like somebody issuing you a ruler to measure things with and then changing how many inches are in the ruler on a consistent basis. It makes it very difficult for there to be any sort of standard um, and, you know, one of, one of the things, a lot of people struggle with Bitcoin because they think it's volatile, uh, but its monetary policy is set in stone. It's very stable. We know exactly what's going to happen 30 years from now. Um, whereas uh, with fiat currencies, we don't know what's going to happen 30 days from now. You know, if there's going to be some sort of uh, um, large spending bill or if the Fed's going to implement yield control or if they're going to let the 10-year treasury rise and everything just kind of crumble um, in the dollar to, to rally. Um, so I think people's understanding of volatility um, needs to be put into perspective compared to the fiat currencies that we use today. And, um, you know, where we're at, I, it, it's kind of astonishing to me how um, – people do not see how fragile and broken our monetary system is right now. Um, well, I mean, that's just the sheet they put over everyone's eyes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it. We're very, very close to breakdown. Um, and I think it's really important for people to be looking at that and looking at ways to protect themselves from the breakdown um, for sure. And it's, yeah, very, very scary. <laughs> very. Um, one of my favorite podcasts on the topic is the Gentleman for Liberty podcast on the Fed because they bring up, you know, the history of it and why it's there and why it's failing. And I think that's really important. And I know that's something you touched on as well as knowing the history of money. Um, but quickly, um, one Siri decided she wanted to have a a part in this conversation um <laughs> but did you we've referenced mining a couple of times bitcoin mining um it's something that i definitely don't understand at all uh, what is bitcoin mining sure yeah so bitcoin mining is um there's what's called a block subsidy so uh, we'll have to get into what a blockchain is so a blockchain is a series of um small bits of data that are linked together over time. And so if you're going to run a, a node, which is just a computer running the Bitcoin protocol, um, you would have a full copy of the blockchain. So you have access to every single transaction that has ever happened. And that way you can verify that transactions in the future are legitimate or not. Um, the way that mining works is it is actually processing those transactions and it's competing to process those transactions. So there's a lot of computing power that's dedicated to, um, uh, you know, essentially hashing these crypto cryptographic um, problems. And if you solve the problem, then you get a mining subsidy and then you also get the fees associated with the transactions in that block. And so I, a block consists of about one megabyte worth of data. Um, so there's a limited amount of transactions that can happen within that 10 minutes. Um, they estimated somewhere around seven transactions a second. And so, you know, people will say that's not scalable, but um, I'll circle back to that. Um, and so right now the, the mining subsidy is 6.25 Bitcoin for every 10 minutes. So these people that are mining it are, um, getting rewarded for it on top of the transaction fees that are associated with the block of all the transactions happening in there. Um, and, 
yeah, it's a very competitive industry. It's one of the most fascinating and interesting industries out there because it allows people to essentially monetize energy. Um, it, uh, you know, if you have excess energy in an area, you can just buy some mining rigs and, um, and I, I'm not talking for like the average person, um, living in a city like Phoenix or Tucson where the, the energy is kind of expensive. I'm talking more about like oil companies that, um, have excess energy, you know, that they need to burn off, um, that'll go to waste like, um, uh, money or just, you know, a lot of natural gas has just burned because it's waste. Um, you know, and you can take that energy and monetize it as Bitcoin, um, which is a pretty cool and exciting concept. Or like if you're living near the Hoover dam where there's very, very inexpensive energy. And sometimes there's an excess of it that would get wasted um, because you can only transport it so much and it's dependent on demand. Um, you can turn on your miners and, and uh, make it, but yeah, it, the way I would look at mining is essentially just processing transactions um, and tr fighting to, it's a market for um, trying to solve um, each block essentially. And one of the things that's really exciting about it and really cool about it. So, so people will say, well, if um, there's only there, there's a subsidy of 6.25 isn't an inflationary. And I would say yes and no, um, because there's only 21 million that will ever exist right now. There's about 18 and a half million in circulation. So we're moving more and more to that 21 million. Um, and every four years that subsidy gets cut in half. Um, so in May, we had um, the last what's called a halving where the subsidy gets cut in half and it got cut from 12.5 um, to 6.25. Um, and the next presidential election, we'll see another uh, halving cycle happen. And um, the next one after that and the next one after that. Um, so that's kind of a it, it definitely is a very. Um, this is like definitely more technical side of Bitcoin. Um, so if you're a very technical person, mining might be something that you would be interested in exploring. But for the average person, it's not um, as important. Um, some critics will say that Bitcoin is not very decentralized in its mining. So the way that you, you would be able to take over uh, a blockchain is by gaining 51% of the mining power or the hash rate. Um, and then you would be able to edit transactions and maybe even roll them back. Um, gaining 51% of uh, mining power over the Bitcoin network is very, very difficult because there are um, different large pools all over the world. And those pools move around um, dependent on, uh, you know, politics or, or um costs of energy. So like a lot of people will say that, um, you know, a lot of the mining power is located in China, which is problematic because of the communist party and whatever they can do. But these people are entrepreneurs, you know, they're not, um, your typical people bending the knee and, um, they will move out of the country and are currently moving out of the country because of bad policies by the government. And that's one of the really beautiful things about Bitcoin is it is government proof in a very large way. And the longer that we continue to, or the currency continues to exist and the more it gains um, uh, monetary value, the more uh, there will be demand for mining, the more profit it will be profitable it will be and the more people enter the space and the more decentralized it, it becomes um so that's uh something that's pretty excited about it and i would encourage anybody that's like hearing that bitcoin is decentralized i know there's people in the different space that are talking about their altcoins that will say that um periodically i would just encourage you you know to, to listen to what those critics say and then go and compare it to what the actual bitcoin miners say um on the topic and uh, yeah, kind of a long explanation. Absolutely. Oh no, it's it's absolutely fine. I find this one hundred percent fascinating. But um, gosh, there's so many things that you could talk about when it comes to crypto. But unfortunately, I'm gonna have to sign off now. But I want to thank you for coming, um, and hopefully, I can have you back because 
I feel like you explained this in a very easy way. Um, whereas like I haven't really wrapped my mind around quite everything yet. Like I said, I'm still going through this process of self-education on Bitcoin, right? And so just thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your knowledge. Sure thing. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'd like to thank everyone for watching and um, we'll have another episode up soon. Um, but next week we're going back to Coffee Talks. We have Ricky Dale Harrington Jr. joining us. So it'll be nice and fun. Nice. But yeah, thank you again. Sure. Really appreciate it. Yeah, that was a really fun conversation with Lalani, and uh, yeah, appreciated her time and her questions. It's Bitcoin's a steep learning curve, and it's really difficult, you know. And you want to use it to its full uh, capacity as far as self-custodying it, and eventually down the road, learning how to run a node and you know do all these various things, how to accept it um, as a business or you know, as a content creator, it, it it's incredible. It, it just removes the need for third parties, the third parties that are creating a lot of issues right now for us by uh, skimming off the top and, um, you know, acting as gatekeepers and, and censors in our society. So, um, yeah, I mean, get into it. Listen to the podcast, uh, read, and get best way to learn is to get to your local Bitcoin meetup and we've got awesome ones happening all over the country and all over the world and there's some awesome uh, conferences going on there's um, uh, Guns and Bitcoin happening in Austin April 10th and 11th uh, there in June there's uh, Bitcoin Miami um, Bitblock Bloom is coming up there's a, a Bitcoin conference in April at the University of Texas A&M and um, there's just so much energy happening right now and it is time to get like really excited about this technology um but yeah uh feel free to reach out to me on twitter i uh respond always and uh hope you have a good one